Welcome to the Soccer Coaching Podcast, where we will discuss all things that impact soccer coaching across all levels and ages. Please listen, enjoy, and share your thoughts on the discussions at the Soccer Coaching Podcast. Hello and welcome to the first episode of the Soccer Coaching Podcast. My name's Scott and I'm here with our co-host Mark as well. Um, So we were thinking long and hard about what we could talk about for our first episode and uh, both Mark and I agreed that maybe as a starting point we could look at the the ingredients that we felt would make for a really great soccer coaching session so not looking too much at the detail of a session not like this is just the headline bits and pieces that we think if you put some of this stuff in your session hopefully it would be an effective session uh, for your for you as a coach it would be effective for the players um, and most importantly probably be enjoyable sound fair yep i like it so we weren't looking at a particular number but um, having kind of had a, had a bit of a brainstorm through it, we kind of got to 10 different things. Um, but you made the point, Mark, about some of this stuff may cross over a little bit. Yeah, I think so. I, I think like there's, there's, there's probably, as we go through this, there'd be one or two that you could probably put together. Um, but I think actually pulling them out separately, there's probably some key, key points in there. And I think the other thing that that's important here is, right, we're kind of... We're amateur coaches. Um, Speak for yourself. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, I'm a very amateur coach. Um, and obviously we get to see our, our players twice a week. So um, our thinking here is, is how we can get the best out of those kind of two sessions or, or even sometimes just the one session a week, uh, how we can make it most effective for, for our players. So maybe maybe some of the listeners will, will, will have, have their kind of players more um, so maybe they have a slightly different view. So I think it's always interesting, perhaps if there's some feedback in terms of what we rate as the kind of top ten, it'd be good good to hear. But this is certainly our view based on the time that we get with the limited time we get with our players. Is that yeah. fair? Yes, yeah, spot on. Yeah, I think that's a good point to make. Yeah, and I think also we try to look at like an overview. So some of this stuff really could fit in if you've got once a week, if you're seeing them on a, on a Saturday for a grassroots game on a Sunday, or if you've got an academy team that you're seeing four times a week plus a game on a Saturday. So yeah. hopefully some of this stuff can transcend all. But you're right, yeah. it, it won't necessarily work for everybody. All right, yeah, should we definitely. make a start then? Yeah, yeah. And I think just one one final oh, point, if you don't mind. Um, I think I think the other thing is that some of these um, items and or things that we pull out could also apply for matches as well, right? Hundred um, percent. And I think, and I think that's the thing. We, as coaches, we always think about um, the kind of developing the players, and and then and then they're playing on on a Sunday. But the kind of some of these things that, that we, we talk about, you that certainly will be relevant for match day as well as um, training sessions. Good point. Yeah, and I'm sure we'll do a match day podcast at some point. But um, if you're really thinking about training as long term development for the players, then hopefully you're looking at match extension training in the first place. But yeah, yeah it's a good point. Yeah, definitely. All right, so they're not in an order, really. I guess if they are in order, it's probably just as you might work through chronologically rather than any than, rather than priority. Um, but the first one we brought up, which is not the most sexiest of ones, but it's true. Uh, number one, we got planning. Um, so whether you like it or not, some people love planning, some people hate it. I do think it's probably fair to say that if you do plan your session out, you're more likely to have a good session. Yeah. Um, so... The kind of things you're thinking about here with planning is actually the session plan itself. So what would that look like? Um, and again, there's there's a whole variety of different structures and different ways in which you can you can structure your session. That's for sure. Whether you're looking at a whole part whole or whether you're going for constant um, variable random or something else completely. Um, you know, where how you start with a warm up, how you finish your session sessions. 
um, there's a whole lot there to be considered. So we're not saying which which is right, but actually having a plan's got to be a help. Mm-hmm. Um, and within that, really looking at, I think the big thing that people can sometimes forget to put in their sessions is the challenges. Now they might be team challenges, looking at, okay, what do we want to achieve for the session today and what will those team challenges look like? Maybe unit challenges, if you're looking at working with your, your, your back players or your midfield players or your front players or your goalkeeper. Um, and obviously individual challenges as well, where you can get your differentiation out there and you can hopefully hone the session to make sure that every single player is getting the most out of it. Um, that you can use step for that. So looking at how you might adjust um, uh, the space you're using, the time the players have, the equipment or the number of players in a particular practice. Um, and also how you progress the session along. So again, to making sh- make sure that you've got options there to maybe scale it up if uh, if it looks like the, the the players are getting on top of it pretty quickly or also dial it down if it looks like it's a struggle and again you need might need to adjust that for individuals rather than the whole team or, or particular units yeah. and I think just the final point on planning I guess is the unexpected and uh, I know back in my early days if I didn't have all 10 boys or all 15 boys turn up or something I'd be like oh no can't cope it's all gone wrong panic stations uh, right 100% panic stations yeah and you're kind of just thinking on the spot and it, it was never good so um, either having a session in which actually the numbers don't matter too much and you can be completely flexible um, or having a session where you thought okay I build it for 10 or 12 or 14 or 16 players but actually if I only get 9, 11, 15 you know it's still going to run fine or if I get an extra player for any reason which can happen or if someone gets an injury during the session or has to pull out for 5 or 10 minutes then um, it doesn't kill the session I'm not there scratching my head thinking oh, it's, yeah. there's nothing left to do yeah I think that's a great, I think it's a great point I remember the uh, the dreaded uh, odd numbers right odd, num- odd number of players yeah. it's kind of like it, it seriously used to kind of panic me a little bit when I first started but actually, I think you kind of, as you get more experience and um, you learn these things, you you start to really um, actually appreciate things like if you've got odd numbers, it's a great challenge for the boys. You can do different things. You can start doing overloads that are a lot more easy with, with odd numbers. Um, you can do kind of different things. And in, in, even if you're doing group of pairs, you can you can make a group of three. Uh, that's not going to really, it's not really going to ruin the, the training session. Um, so I think the the unexpected and thinking thinking that through is important. But I think in general planning, right? That's I think there's, I can't remember the, the classic phrase that used to drum be drummed into me when I first started working. If you fail to plan, plan to fail. I think it is or something like that. I think it's just it's just it's just, it's just important, right? I used to um, I generally try to spend as much time planning the session as the length of the session in fact probably planning takes longer i know that there's there's many times in a week my wife's asking me what, what you're doing and I was, i'm telling her i'm planning the session she's like you're doing that last night and the night before <laughs> so it's kind of like i think it's just a stop believing you yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> yeah it's um it's a critical critical piece right you've got to be ready for the session if you're not ready for the session then it's not fair on the players um, it's not fair on the parents who have bought the players. It's just you've got to be ready. You've got to be ready and, and planned um, and ready and, and 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 ready to go. Basically, yeah, I agree. And I, I guess also for confidence, I think when I've gone with a plan, I mean, sometimes you can kind of get by without one, have a loose idea, and it kind of works. But you're kind of riding the wings of luck there a little bit. Yeah. Where if you yeah. go with a plan, you know, when I go down to a session and I know what I'm going to do and I know I can deal with the variables that may come up and I can adjust it accordingly for the different players, I'm just ready and I feel like you know I, I look forward to those sessions and yeah. and I, they do run better and yeah. you can see the players enjoy it more as well and get more out of the sessions. Yeah. 
Um, so yeah, however much we may or may not love planning, it is a vital part of it, and we couldn't do you know the top ingredients without putting planning up there, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah totally all right. Agree. Well, that's the first one. And what we'll again on all these topics, like all all these points, I think you know we will look at these in more detail. So we're just throwing out the headlines for now. Um, but if you want a good session, make sure you plan it. Yeah. Number absolutely. one. Okay. So moving on to number two, then I think. Um, we've got clear theme here and i think this is probably related to planning a little bit again we could you could probably put those together um but having a clear theme is is obviously critical if you want to kind of what you want to maximize your kind of time with the players maximize what they kind of they get out of it you, you need to have a clear theme um and obviously that's linked to the actual session plan um and then generally with the theme be it Maybe you have a passing kind of theme, maybe you have an attacking theme, maybe it's a defending theme, or maybe it's kind of something different. It's then it's then having the kind of ingredients that go into that theme. So if it's a passing, for example, um, are you thinking about perhaps keeping possession um, and attacking at the right time or making the, the, the pass at the right time? Are you thinking about perhaps um, the players finding space, helping them find space? Um and it's really using that theme throughout your session. So all the individual practices or games that you have in there, how are they linked to that theme and, and, and how that comes through? Um, and I think, as I said, it's it's obviously having those kind of ingredients that, that make the, the drill, the, the practices what they are, um, but also having all the coaching points. It helps it, having that right theme. It helps you kind of have the coaching points up front and you can you have them at the forefront of your mind when you get into the session. So it, it's kind of critical. And, and I think the, the, the big discussion, actually, and I've, I, I spoke to different coaches around this, is do you, do you tell the players what the theme is up front or do you actually just kind of talk them through this is what the session's going to look like and then maybe at the end of the session you ask them what was the kind of theme all about. And I, I know when I first started, um, I used to kind of, I would tell the players what the theme is. This is what we're working on this week. So they're aware of it. But actually, I think as I've become more experienced and more kind of perhaps educated and maybe less amateurish, um, then I, I generally don't tell the players now. I kind of let the, hopefully the session will bring it out and they'll be able to tell us at the end um, what, what we've been kind of working on. Yeah, that's a great point. And maybe that's a general thing about when we first start coaching. We give the players all the information up front, don't we? It's not just on the thing, yeah. but everything. But yeah. you're dead right. And if you can do a session in which maybe the first practice or game that you do hints at what it might be, and you know the players then have to come in and think, okay, what is it going to be? Well, then you're working their cognitive skills as well as whatever yeah. the session is doing itself. So, yeah. yeah, definitely. And I think the other thing linked linked to the theme is, and, and something that I definitely haven't mastered is is actually if you're thinking about a season. Um, and then planning throughout that season. How do you think about your themes on a week-to-week basis, right? Because I try not to have a theme based on last week's match. So if something went wrong in the match, I generally would treat that as a, as a noise rather than the boys not developing they really should do. Um, but it's difficult not to, right, to react to the last game and have a theme based on that. So if, for example, we're conceding goals from corners... Would you have a session? Your theme is defending corners. Personally, I wouldn't, but it, it's how do you plan that theme 
um, over the over the season, and, and um, this is probably a, a longer discussion than for here, but it's an, it's a it's, it's a, a difficult one, podcast right? now, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> difficult. One. Well, that's a good point there because if we go back to planning on number one, then actually, you know, you're talking about a curriculum, aren't you? And saying, okay, you know, yes, we want a theme for this particular session, but this particular session should fit into a bigger picture of long term development, yeah. whether that's the last six weeks, the you know, the whole season, or maybe six years, you know. But you got you don't want to necessarily take a scattergun approach where you jump from theme to theme based on how your team did last week because there's too many variables in football especially at the youth level where you're playing different teams with different players even the same team can have different players the following week in it so um yeah, I think it's a dangerous approach to, to react to the week before. Yeah. We've probably all done it and yeah. we probably all continue to do it in some way, shape or form. But if you've got your curriculum in place and you know actually, even if it's a loose curriculum, you say, like, we're going to do passing, defending, attacking, rotate that every three weeks. I mean, that's pretty loose. But that, you know, if it was that, we stick to those principles. You know, and if you and if you did, if you've had a few weeks where you've been conceding goals through, um, you know, maybe from set pieces or, you know, or, or teams coming through the middle of you or whatever it might be, then, okay, you, you tailor that particular session on defending around something that might suit that. So you're not reacting completely to what's gone on previously, but you've got some flexibility and you quickly to a, a bit of that if necessary. Yeah. yeah. I think the other thing, the other interesting thing is how we actually, do, how, how often do you repeat that theme as well? Yeah. Good so point. do you, so do you have it for two weeks um, to help the players kind of understand it and then really kind of digest it and develop or do you kind of introduce it maybe four weeks later or or or, or eight weeks later or something i think again there's something that i've not really mastered or kind of maybe put enough thought to is how often you repeat that theme and when you do it yeah and there's no hard or fast rule is there i'm a big fan of repeating a session again not in the following week because it looks maybe that the players need some you know want something different mm. but i think if you go back to session maybe within three or four weeks there's two things that are quite interesting firstly what do the players remember from the session because yeah. if it's been any good they might remember some of it yeah. um secondly i think what you tend to find is once you get back into the swing the players pick up from where they were off quite quicker so you get more out of it second time round. yeah it doesn't always work that way but it can work that way so you know and it doesn't have to be a good session before necessarily because you might get more out of it second time round. it makes it a better session but I, I you know i think reinventing the wheel every single week and then you know going back maybe 12 weeks later to do something again is probably too long yeah um and I don't, you know, we see it at academies, we see it at some of the academies we go to and see the way actually they have 12-week cycles of programs. So, yeah. so the, the players will do one thing one week and won't repeat again for 12 weeks later, and I'm not judging it. But it seems like a long gap between that. Although, to be fair, the boys do pick it up pretty quickly from what we've seen. But, um, yeah, I think that's a good a good point. And yeah. you've got to, I know maybe it's an ages and stages thing. So, you know, what age the players are at and what stage they're at may, may depend on, on how quickly yeah. you revisit something. Yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah, yeah. So I think I think... Summarising the theme, I think it's a it's obviously a, a critical piece. Getting that into your session plan um, and 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 building the ingredients around it is is is, is important, right? Hundred percent. I, I, John, on that, I think the two things you mentioned there. Well, the first thing you mentioned was the coaching points, because those coaching points, it's not hasn't come from a, a, a an awarding body manual. It's got to come from the things that you want to see as a coach of that particular team. You know, so if you're working on you know on, on pressing the ball, well, what does that look like for you? What would you like it to look like for your players? Mm-hmm. You know, because um, ultimately it is their game and it is their team and it's their performance in the matches. But they're gonna you know they're gonna reflect the things that you're help him bring out in the training sessions so you know if you want to see um your players pressing the ball quickly and getting sideways on or you know um 
uh, timing their challenges to win the ball back at the right time. Well, if that's the coaching points you're looking for, we'll put that in the training plan, put that in the, in the theme you're looking for. And that's what the session should be, should be bringing out. Yeah. Now, uh, someone else might have a different version of pressing the ball in, in a different way completely. But I think if you highlight that yourself, then you know what you're looking for. And it's a massive help in the session. Yeah. And when you don't see it, you can kind of think, okay, you know, I know I'm, I need to be working on a little bit more. And if I do see it, fantastic. I can highlight that. And so that's what I'm looking for especially if you've got um, maybe assistant coaches because then you're on the same page because their version of pressing, you know, or tackling or shooting might be different to yours. So if you kind of highlight the points, then you're on the same page looking for the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I think that's an, that's another podcast, right? Assistant coaches. Yeah. How you <laughs> utilise assistant yeah. assistant yeah. coaches. Uh, uh, yeah, and, and the final point on the theme, I think, is just the why in there. Put it in there as well. Like in the theme, okay, so, it, you know, if you want your team to, to press or pass, whatever, why? You know, why are you doing it? So you, the question to the boys is, okay, why are we going to press like this? Why are we going to get sideways? And why are we going to do this close the space down quickly? Because, again, if the players can understand the why, not just the how, then actually they're much more cognitively capable of doing that you know in the in the in the, in the randomness of a game um then they might be just in a training session so i think and, and adding the why into the theme and getting back into your plan i think is a massive thing because you know you keep asking the players rather than tell them you know it's all the answers straight away keep asking them you know why are we doing this then um if they get that then that, i think that makes a massive difference in how that that learning gets embedded yeah i agree yeah yeah cool okay have I got number three? You have indeed. Yes. Fantastic, because this is my uh, probably my favourite thing. Maybe because it invite, involves the least amount of coaching. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I don't know what age this may stop. But um, for me, if you don't do number three, I think you're missing a trick. I'll be honest with you. I'm, I'm not going to say much about this all the time, but I think this is the one where I'll pin my hat on this and say, you know, guys, if you're not doing this, I think you're missing a trick. So for us, number three is free play. So having free play as part of your session. Now, I get the fact that actually you may be limited for time and space. And, you know, you, if you're sharing a, 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 an artificial piece of grass or, you know, you've got time limits on your training sessions, it's hard to squeeze in some free play because every minute counts. But um, we've used this quite well in, with, with our players. Um, we tend to train first on our facilities. So say training starts uh, at nine o'clock, uh, we'll run a free play session from about quarter to nine in the mornings. So players can turn up 15 minutes early. We'll literally just put out some small-sided games, mark out some small pictures with some small goals, 3v3s, 4v4s, get down and just play. Playground kind of rules. Um uh, two things happen again one players come on time actually they come early yeah. usually they're about half past eight in the mornings yeah, yeah, these yeah. days want to yeah. get the free play maybe it's the best Before part of the, the session coaches, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah it's the best part of the session um, but it's great to observe as a coach because you kind of get to see who's up for it today who's not 100% you know you, you, they get all the quarrels out of the way they you know you get all the silliness done and the social side kind of comes out of that hasn't impacted on your session at all the boys have come to play some football so they're getting themselves worn out if you keep those numbers down then it's hard work the boys are running around and working at all the players i should say we've got boys so i keep saying boys but the yeah. players it can yeah. you know boy, boys or girls who are playing they can turn up and just kind of just kind of blow some steam off straight away um for 15 20 minutes and then when you bring them into your session they're having their drink you can have a talk introduce the session or whatever you're going to do first yeah. and i just think it gives them um uh, a, a clearer mind and a, and a great start for the session and if you're really creative with it 
you can give them some ownership over the free play. So, I mean, we, we've got younger ones, I guess. I mean, the under-10s will be capable of this, but the under-7s, you know, I think still need some structure, really. But there'd be nothing to stop us with the under-10s in putting out, putting down a pile of cones, putting out some of those small Samba goals and saying, boy, set up as you want. The only rule is you can't have more than three, three or four before or something, so they don't go crazy with it, but you go and sort out the game you want to play. You know, and, and then they've got to organise themselves, they've got to sort the teams out, they've got to put the cones in the right space, make the pitch the size they want it, put the goals where they want it, blah, blah, blah. And all that kind of ownership yeah. and that, that responsibility yeah. bit that, again, I think, you know, that, that cognitive side of, the, of, 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 um, of what we do as coaches, you know, you've got to look for every opportunity in which to, you can evolve, you can... Um, uh, add on that and help the players um, build on their abilities to do that kind of stuff but you see leaders coming out there and organisers thinking about stuff and actually realize, showing them that it's not just about the coach it's not the coach's show it's about the players yeah. um, so yeah. free play sounds really simple and it should be simple um, personally I'd keep the coaches out of it just give them the time and the equipment and try and find that. And even if you haven't got the time before the session, I would still spend the first 10 minutes just doing free play. Yeah. I, 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 unfortunately, I couldn't agree more, to be honest <laughs> with you. Um, this was like, I think this was a real kind of eye-opener for me. It's something I remember when we, we first started coaching together um, and, and we never used to we never used to use free play. And um, when you kind of mentioned it and introduced it, it was like, oh my God, why do we, why do we not ever kind of use this? It's just, I think it's just, it's just, the best thing, right? You, you, there's a few things that it allows you to do. Firstly, whilst the boys are playing, you can get your, get your get set up for the for the session and get ready for the session. Think through the kind of final um, tweaks in terms of what you need to do. You can get the any practices ready, any any cones out and things like that. Um, I think the boys have fun; they enjoy it. That, that gives them a positive attitude when you're ready to start your session. I think. Um, thirdly, it takes the edge off the boys, for want of a better of the players, for want of a better phrase, right? Um, it means that they're just a little bit puffed out and not quite so uh, hyper, because under tens, under sevens, under eights are a uh, very um, lively. Let's, let's, let's put it that way. So I think it just takes the edge off edge off it. You can also watch, and you can, as you said, you can see who's who's kind of really up for it, who's not up for it. Coaches don't need to be involved. In fact, I actively encourage the coaches that I work with not to be involved just let the boys manage it if someone gets upset let the boys kind of manage it if obviously if it's dangerous or it's if they're injured or hurt then you, you need you clearly need to be involved but just let if there's little arguments let the players deal with it right it's just, it's almost like a playground kind of activity um and I just think it's it's just fantastic and not all and I think the other thing is right not all players arrive at the same time you can have you might have six players arriving at half eight six players arriving at quarter to nine and and at least they're, they're doing something and they're doing something they enjoy um and and you can just add players in, into the session i think i think the one interesting thing i'm going to put you on the spot here someone i haven't we haven't spoke about actually could you do free play on a sunday morning before a match as the players turn up or why wouldn't you do it put it that way very good question never thought about it but that's a really good question my gut feeling instinctively instinctively is no yeah i'm trying to think why now yeah um i, I think on game day mate and it's probably me rather than the players i like the organization structure of something yeah. that just kind of it, it's quite very organized and we kind of follow a, a a process no new information kind of keep the yeah. same thing my slight worry with free play is it's a great opportunity for the boys to kind of explore their own little space in their own way. Is that a bit too far on game day? It may be because their boys are still quite young, our yeah. players. But I, you know, with slightly older players, maybe you could do that. Um, 
we have introduced playing small sided games before the match. Yeah. So we do that now. The keeper goes off and gets warmed up. You know, yep. with the keepers, but the one that's only gold start will go and get warmed up, and then the players left will play a little small sided game. So we did, but it's much. It isn't. It's coach centred in the sense we're, look, we're we're running that a little bit. You know, yeah, yeah. although yeah. we're not really involved. They, you know, they they just play a three v three or four v four, whatever it's going to be. Um, you could certainly try and let us know how he goes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually, up for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's um, a good question. I'm actually thinking about doing it for under 10s because I know that we... They can Why would you up. do it? Well, I think it just... Maybe, again, it just creates that positive atmosphere before the game, kind of puts them in the right frame of mind. It lets them kind of socialise. and Takes the edge off, maybe. Take, yeah, yeah, yeah. It just gets them... Maybe they're also playing football, right? Well, I generally might. I I, gen, I do agree that before games, I like it to be structured. We do the same things each week. We generally go through the same um, process. So the boys are, they understand it. They know what's coming. There's no kind of surprises. They're ready for the game. But actually, could you do free play before? The more I think it. about it, the more I think it might be worth trying it. Could try it's one it. of those, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And I wonder how much of my reservations doing it is me. Yeah. Rather than the actual, you know, the, the, yeah. the, the lack of control and stuff like that, because yeah. uh, we all talk a good game about long term development and about you know making sure that the game is essential training. But when we go to matches, like you know, we want to do one of the boys from the best, you know. Yeah. And you kind of think, well, if I'm going to relinquish some of that stuff that I think is going to help them get there, you know, I might be prepared to do that. But the reality is, you know, what until you try some of these things, you just don't yeah. know. I'm up for giving yeah. it a go if you yeah. are. I well, I think I'll try it. Okay, and you I'll want to try first. Back. I'll, I'll report, report back. That's right, right. one. Okay, let, let us know how it goes. However, if we lose, is it is that problematic if we lose? You'll be blaming it, won't you? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> point. Last blaming. point on free play, just quickly. Yeah. Because I think it's important to share this. Now, yep. obviously, clubs run differently. Um, with our grassroots club, we have... Um, we have a, a tiered system, so a stream system, because that's the league we're in, asks us to do, that requires that. So we've got about 30 or players across three different teams, um, and they are ranked, so it's an A, B and C. We don't call them that, but it's A, B and C. You can argue about that as much as you like, but that's the way it is, because we have to for our leagues. Um, but free play is mixed, so you know, yeah. which I think is another great thing here. So yeah. whoever rocks up, goes up and gets on a pitch and starts playing. So you've yeah. got A's and B's and C's all mixed up. We actively try and do that. Um, it doesn't always work, but we try and do that. You do need the coaches on board and you need the players kind of there to do it but I think it's brilliant because most of these guys are all mates from school and stuff you know and they want to play with their mates you know yeah. just want to, and they don't really care about the team thing they just want to play with their mates so I think again if you if you don't do it or you know or you do do it and you've got the opportunity there to use it as an opportunity to mix the boys around a little or the players around a little bit then um, I think that's worth doing. Yeah I agree and I think that by all the players being together right it kind of takes the um the preciousness, if that's even a word, but it takes it away from I'm in the A team, you're in the B team, you're in the C team kind of thing. Yeah. And if players do need to move between teams because the players develop at different speeds, and, and yeah. um, then that also can help if you ever have to go through that. That Definitely, kind of and process. as a coach, you get to see the other players, don't yeah, you? As well, exactly. it's quite good. So you know, yeah. you see it. You know, you see the boys and how they're getting on and stuff, and yeah. it keeps it for like a squad feel rather than individual teams. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah. Brilliant. All right. Okay. Thanks very much. Next one, then. We're on number four, are we? Yeah, we are. Yeah. So technical work. So this I think is a this, bit of you, isn't it? Yeah. This is this is kind of big for me, and I think this is one we may kind of have some different views <laughs> on, to be honest. And I know we've had kind of lots of discussions about this in the past. Um, so for me, technical work is is one of the most important, if not the most important, part of the um, of the session. Um, every week, I kind of dedicate at least kind of fifteen minutes to kind of ball mastery. Um, and some of that's opposed and some of that's unopposed. In fact, probably most of it, to be fair, is unopposed. Um, I just think having that technical aspect to training 
um it's just critical right i think i think you need to do that to do to start to do more advanced kind of games and advanced practices i think you need to have that um that that kind of basic technical work in there to kind of help help the players develop now i think there's a lot of a lot of discussions around unopposed practice um i'm personally think there's a place for unopposed practice in in a session um if if 100 of my session was unopposed i would be uh, greatly concerned um in fact, I probably players. <laughs> yes yeah <I'll> <laughs> your own yeah i probably wouldn't be coaching actually but i think unopposed it just creates that real high repetition right and i think even if it's kind of ball mastery, kind of doing different skills, or if it's if it's a kind of passing, I know with my under eights, I've done a lot of kind of kind of basic passing. We've done ten minutes of passing back and forth to each other because they didn't have that that basic kind of control and um, first touch, and that we done it for kind of half a season. It, it kind of really helped them, um, but then then generally I try to move into opposed as well. So we would do ball mastery lots of different kind of skills lots of different parts of the foot um lots of turns and then we would we would in, I'd introduce the kind of opposed practice whereby you, you have to keep the ball from your opponent kind of thing that 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 kind of practice so you, what you're learning you're then kind of putting into into practice and it becomes a maybe a bit more variable rather than a rather than a constant constant practice I think the challenge is to keep it fun, and I think that's one of the uh, one of the things that I'm, I can see you're kind of desperately ready to jump in and comment <laughs> on. Um, but I think if you if you if you're enthusiastic, you're challenging the boys to do different things. I think that you can keep it fun. I don't I don't think you can do it for for too long. And I know the some of the professional academies do it for longer, and they're obviously a, a kind of um, more experienced on on some of these things. But I, I definitely think there's a place in a session. Um, for some unopposed practice. Yeah, no, I, I know you're doing, you're a big advocate of this, and I think you've done wonders with your team around this kind of stuff. Now, um, I, I, and I don't disagree, I honestly don't, and you're right, the academies maybe have six hours a week with their boys and spending 20 minutes a session or half an hour of each session, they've got the time to do that. If you've got an hour on a Saturday with, with your players, you might not focus so much on the technical side of the game, or you may, but you may not, or you may focus the whole session on that, I don't know. But the, the, the two things you kind of mentioned there, well, well, one for me is transference. I think, you know what, if you're going to do the technical work, and it is important, without uh, the basic fundamental ability to manipulate the ball, your team's going to struggle, individual collectively. So you've got to, you know, you need that first touch, you need that control, you need to be able to work the ball, move the ball. And, you know, particularly, you know, the foundation phase, that should be the priority, you know, and I don't disagree with that. What I see a lot, or what I see often, is unopposed, cone-based, ball skill practice where you're kind of giving the players a whole bunch of skills solutions to problems that they may or may not face you know um and i think if you're doing it because you want the boys or the players to be good on the ball then you kind of got a justified reason for doing it if you think you're going to teach the players a set of skills that they can then pull out in the moment when those skills are being taught in a completely unopposed or you know slightly interfered kind of way I've I've not seen it transfer as of yet, and you know if, I'm yeah. happy to be corrected on that one. Yeah. Um, and the second point is keeping it fun. You know, now, there are some players that love unopposed practice, yeah. love doing the Joe Cole turns, the Cruyff all that, and they love it. And that they, they yeah. give give them a ten by ten space and let them rock around doing that. They'll love it. You know, and pretty good. 
they're not always the ones that can do it in the game though. And actually sometimes, yeah. sometimes it's the players that look a bit ropey doing it in the 10 by 10 space with no one around them that actually pull it off in a match because they've just got that thing about that uh, action perception coupling where they can kind of sense when to pull it off in the game at the right times. Yeah. Um, so t- I, I, technical works on our list for the, I think justifiably, um, it's just a case of, I guess, the delivery and execution of that in your session. Yeah. So it can transfer, it's fun, and it does what it's supposed to do. Yeah, yeah, I agree, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and I think even even when I'm doing kind of ball mastery, I can see some of the boys are kind of more into it than others, enthusiasm. Um, I kind of try and break out the 15 minutes, and we might do a two or three minutes of kick-up challenge, who can do the most kick-ups. And you can see some of the boys that are just, just kind of love that, right? They're just kind of jump jump all over it and they're kind of like you can see them counting out their kick ups and others are like oh you can, they've got the kind of head down a little bit so you have to really kind of get get into those boy, those players a little bit and really try and encourage them and, and challenge them to see what they can they beat the, the record they had last time out um and then the ones that are i guess at the other end that are enjoying it and how you need to push those right can they can you do more kick-ups than the coaches the answer is obviously no but it's like that's that that kind of thing right and really kind of challenge them but i just think i yeah i think we can have a, again we can have another session on opposed versus unopposed so i won't go into any more detail on that but i think generally speaking technical work for me is just a critical part of, of your session your boys you need to kind of help the boys the players develop technically that's, yeah that's the a critical part Quick question then, where, when do you do your technical work with your players? Is it the same part every session or do you do it at different times of the session? Mix it up actually. Do you? Generally, I would say it's generally at the front or the middle um, because later on in the session we would probably do more small-sided games and um, and then maybe finish with a, 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 a bigger game and, and a fun ending. But So it'd be more around the start after free play or we would do an activity after free play and then do some... Technical work. Yeah, technical work, yeah. Something like that, yeah. Okay, super stuff. Number five, physical literacy. So this is a tricky one because I don't think you can't put it in there because I think it's important. Whether or not it's actually a standalone element is debatable again, but I think it would be a mistake to overlook it as have it in your thought process when you're planning a session out. Um and, and I think it can be overlooked sometimes. So what by this we mean you're looking at you know the acceleration, the balance, coordination, speed of the players, those physical attributes that are going to allow them to do the things that you want them to do, and usually turn a technical ability um, into like something they can actually beyond the skill, but actually something they can actually do in in a game. Um, and there's different ways you can approach this, and I've seen it done in the whole range of different ways you can have standalone physical literacy stuff so you know i've seen skipping ropes i've seen assault courses you know tag games you know all different ways in which you can do things without a ball that aren't football um that can develop certain things and uh, and i think they're great um but also you can embed it within the, the practice itself so you know you you can you can use the game itself and work on speed or acceleration or strength um so there's different ways you can do it um, but I think if, you, if you're going to embed it, it probably goes back to the points around the clear theme and the coaching points. So what are your coaching points and also what's the physical literacy within that particular coaching point? So what are you are looking for? Um, so if you're doing defending exercise and, you know, you're looking for strength, maybe you're looking to, 
hold hold up the ball or hold the player off so you know what the strength look like how can you get that what should the body shape be how should the player be um using their physique to be able to make that particular physical literacy come stand out for them um or if you're doing a standalone practice okay is this the best possible way in which i can do so i'm gonna spend 15 minutes doing a physical literacy activity is this gonna marry up with what my theme is um so i think just having it as an ingredient is important there's probably a, a lot of flexibility to how you use it the only thing i would say is just making sure that whatever one you're focusing on it kind of marries up with the theme of your session yeah yeah i think it's an interesting one um physical literacy and and the reason i say that is is it's probably the only maybe the only practice where you actually encourage the coach not to have a ball right i think you there's some of the things that i've seen that you can do without a football the, the tag game or the tails fox and tails game um i think is great for twisting and turning for scanning and things like that and it, it those kind of things are great um and probably for 10 minutes at the beginning of a session i, th- I think it's it's really good and there's certain it dep- again it ca- it comes down to you, the age of the boys that you or players you're coaching um so if you've perhaps got under fives under sixes under sevens it's something that you may want to embed in in your practices when you get to under tens um under elevens maybe you do less of that and actually you would hope that perhaps some of the small sided games brings that out i don't know i haven't it's not something i would say that I, for my under tens, for example, we spend a lot of time doing this, and 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 maybe we should maybe we should spend more, um, but we don't spend a lot of time on this, and perhaps it's more focused for the under fives, under six, under sevens. I don't know. It'd be interesting to know. Maybe other people have got different views on this. I, I, I'm not sure. I think um, yeah, yeah, I think you're dead right. I don't, I, I don't know that it's something that's discussed enough, maybe looked at enough. We just kind of rely on the actual nat- natural physical development of the players to kind of sort itself out, right? But if I think about the teams we coach now, you can see this. You know, some boys are more coordinated than others. Some boys mm-hmm. have got acceleration than others. I mean, you know, I guess the younger they are, the age difference means a bit more. So you yeah, can, you know, ten months when you're under sevens is big different compared to ten months when you're under sixteens, right? Yeah. Um, age difference, but. Um, yeah, I, I just think it has to be thought about. Um, but it is age and stage appropriate, you know, of, of your players. But you've got to think, okay, you know, if I'm going to ask a player to do an exercise that maybe is around finishing that requires some acceleration onto the ball, and I've got 15 players, but I know two of my, my those players aren't particularly good at acceleration, well, you know, how what are they going to get out of this compared to the other players? The other players are going to look sharper and better because they're quicker at that particular physical literacy. They might have the same finishing technique, but yeah. just they're going to get away with it more or, or less because they're, they're, they're not, they're, they haven't got the acceleration to go with it. And can you support that? Obviously, one session is not going to fix anything on, on its own, but you know how can we keep working on that or could we have an activity in which it brings out different physical literacy abilities um so i can work on someone's coordination somebody else's balance and somebody else's speed or someone else's strength you know like i think there's um if you can think about it as a coach and you can build it into your sessions it can only be a better session right and again with a longer term you know and if i'm not the quickest player in your team but you're doing things to help me get a bit faster and and, and, you know looking at my setting in certain ways that's gonna you know give me six months of that i'm probably going to be a better player yeah yeah yeah, I agree. I agree. I, I think, I think embedding it in in the session is important. I think the challenge is how you do that. To, to me, I know, and that's something that I, I probably struggle a little bit with. But yeah, agree. good point. Okay, all right. Should we move on to number six? Yes. Okay. So number six, game based practices. I know this is probably your most favourite uh, <laughs> topic. 
Uh, I'm not sure what I'm, why I'm going to talk through it. You probably no, should you do, but I'm going to, I'm going to have a go. <laughs> um, so I think, I think this is again, this is like a massive subject. You, we, you, we could have a separate kind of we podcast, will. And, or we will. Yeah, I'm sure <laughs> we will actually. Yeah, if you get your way. Um, so I think like I do a lot of game based practices, um, small sided games, uh, and I think I with constraints, with different constraints. Um, so for example, even. Last Saturday, we done. I had two three versus three games going on, um, and that was constrained by, um, or, or actually, well, maybe constraints are not the right word for that game, but you, you, it was called passing for points. So the more passes you do before you score, the more goals you get, right? And it just encouraged the players to kind of move the ball and um, find space and pass the ball. Um, and I think it's just a, it's just a wonderful wonderful way of 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 coaching because you you just transfer it it transfers into the game. I know I know you don't play three on three on a Sunday, but it's certainly parts of that just transfer into the game. It's directional, it's kind of all of the above, right? It's just a it, it for me it's the way that most of your sessions should be run. I I I don't my personal view is that I don't have my whole session games based. I have some practices, I have some technical work, and then a vast majority is games based but it's just a great great way of doing it you can introduce individual challenges there um in in, in those kind of games as well i just think it it just really it really can it helps the players develop with presenting them with problems they've got to solve i think it's just critical and i think it's really come from to me over the last couple of years how important that side of it is and I think you just and I also think you read a lot more about this now right the podcast you listen to the books you read there's a lot more on on game based practice and it's less around the old fashioned drills I would say um it's definitely that's something that's come into fashion yeah I guess as a concept it's been around for a long time from teaching games for understanding but maybe it's been misunderstood a lot as well I mean and I've seen your practices and I obviously I use this a lot. Um, I'm a big fan of it, but I don't just throw a ball in and say, right, off you go, boys, go and play. Um, You know, and it is, I think it's trying to be clever with the constraints you put in or the way you manipulate a particular game to bring out your, your theme or your coaching points again. And that was a great example with the, with the points for passing because, the players don't know you're looking at their passing technique and what you're trying to do. They're just playing the game. Um, but in that game, it gives you a great opportunity to watch and see in a real game environment, okay, who's doing this straight away? Who's got it? You know, because actually if they've got it, brilliant. I've got someone I can refer to as a bit of an example. And, you know, um, they're doing it under the pressure of, of a real, the, the, the randomness of a match. Um, so I'm more like to see that when we come and play um, at, at, in a proper match in the league. Um, or likewise, if the player hasn't got it, right, okay, I can see what is, is it decision making? Is it positioning? Is it technical ability? What is it? I can see that first before I just try, try to help them improve on it, mm. you know, um, because if we're just doing the technique first, well, maybe they can do it or maybe they've got their own technique. Well, actually, it's a bit different to what you thought it was going to like, but it works for them. Um, so, yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan. Um, I remember doing this with under sixes and, you know, and I'm sure there'll be coaches that will know this already, but you you read the stuff and you look at the things that say, actually, under sixes do not pass the ball. Give it up, Scott. They ain't going to pass the ball in a million years. Yeah. We played a game, 3v3, with headbands, and the only rule was you only win once your team has got each got a headband on its head. You can score as many goals as you want, but... You get headband when you score a goal, and when all three players in the team have got a headband on, you're going to win the game. 
So inevitably on a team, especially under sixes, 3v3, you've got one or two stronger players that can dominate and go and probably score 10 goals on their own quite easily. But, you know, they soon learn quite quickly, actually, I've got to share the ball. Yeah, and it's a moment to share the ball. And what they end up doing is dropping back a little bit deeper and letting the other player who needs to get the goal move forward. So the game's allowed to, and that's the under six. These are five-year-old kids doing it. So mm. I think if a five-year-old kid can pick up a concept, you know, then I'm sure um, any of the players can. And it's the game that's doing it, you know. And if they can't technically pass a ball, and I can see that in the session, well, that's up to me to work on that and help the player in that way to to, to, to yeah. do that. But yeah. they tend to find a solution to the problem Um when you just give them the problem and not the solution with a bit of time and encouragement. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I th- and I, I think the interesting discussion, um, and maybe it's not for now, but actually if you, if you, as you're doing if you, in this approach, if you have a certain player that maybe isn't kind of technically um, as strong as some of the other players and is really struggling maybe with first touch or with passing or something like that, um, and they clearly need some, they clearly need repetition to help them. Would you then pull them out of that? game probably not immediately right but would you think then future weeks maybe we need to do some some constant practices and i think the answer is probably no that's what you're going to tell me um but i would maybe i would think about doing like a constant practice where that person's getting a lot of high repetition or i'd encourage them outside of the session keep practicing this keep doing this um and 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 help that might help them develop more perhaps than just doing a, a game space where they haven't quite got that repetition repetition yeah, I, I, it's a fair point, and I, I'm not against doing unopposed, you know, constant practices. I think I just wouldn't go to it straight away. You yeah. know, you, you dial down a little bit, maybe. Yeah. Actually, maybe take them out and you play them in a three v two, so they've got a bit more opportunity, you know, a bit more space, yeah. you know, even a three v one or something. You know, they just, I would look at the game first if I could, and I would try and think of clever ways. And I'm not that clever or creative, but I would try and think of clever ways in which we could still do it in a game format. Um, but you're dead right if it's not happening, and we've got to go back to basics, and we've got to do a constant. And I can try and find a way of doing that. You know, hopefully in a fun way then if that's what the plan is in the best interest then 100% it's, got, it's yeah. going to be done yeah. and there's certainly times for that um, but I think you can dial the game a little bit as well yeah. Yeah, you know um, yeah. and also I've seen it you don't always have to take all the players out and do all the practice because that's what one or two players needs keep the game going and take a few out and do a small game you know you could have a whole part of hole where the holes are going on with the games happening either side and you've got a little part of practice going on in the middle well they will do the part of practice nobody knows they're being singled out but you might spend a bit more time with those players that need a bit more of that you know that yeah. ice later time you know not on their own but maybe two or three doing the same thing because they're a little bit behind on that particular part um, of of their development Um, so it's just again being creative and clever but I think if you can if you can think of how to make a game out of the stuff you're trying to get across think it transfers well the players enjoy it you know and i don't think that's i don't think that's a foundation face thing i you know we still play a little bit of football and i play because i love playing football we enjoy yeah, it right yeah and i think if you're 16 years old you want to play football yeah you know, so if i can do this stuff in a game and it just feels like a game to me i'm probably going to work a bit harder yeah. probably going to enjoy it more put more effort into it and actually i'm probably going to pick up things that i can transfer better on match day so yeah, happy play happy coach yeah agree um, yeah yeah agree all right, number seven. Yes. Ball rolling time. Okay, I don't think it's going to be a long one, but let's just say I do think it's quite, you've got to have a conscious thing about your sessions about ball rolling time. You're not going to set yourself a percentage or a number of minutes and stuff like that, but just be conscious of it because, you know, I, I, 
I see good coaches and even myself, I challenge myself not to have an intervention longer than 30 seconds. You need ball rolling time. You know, talk to the players while they're grabbing a drink. Don't have a drink then spend three minutes talking to the players. If you're talking to your players for longer than two or three minutes, forget about it. They're not listening. I promise you, they've gone. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, there's just yeah. no point. If you can't get your point across in 30 seconds, well, you've got to think of a different way of getting your point across that's not verbal because they're not going to be listening to you. And maybe that's a general statement, but... Yeah, from my experience with with the players that we have, and that's not, I think the young ones are better listening to some of the older ones sometimes. So it's not an age thing necessarily that gets easier as they get older. Yeah. Um, I just think ball rolling time, ball rolling time. Think about, you know, how you set your practice up. Does there need to be a cue? Can we can we have two practices going on so the cues aren't there and it's kind of flowing a bit better? Can we do a wave practice if it's not going to be a game thing? You know, if I'm stopping and talking, do I need a whole intervention or can I pull a player and have a little word and put them back in again? Again, it's all techniques, but that ball rolling time is crucial because the more time the ball's rolling, the more they're working, yeah. the more they're getting the physical exercise out of the session, the more they're getting more touches of the ball, the, probably the more they're enjoying it, the yeah. less you've got to speak about stuff as a coach. Um, yeah. So it's hard to measure but be honest with yourself and say if I can't you know if I'm getting below 80% of ball rolling time probably need to look at what I'm doing or, you know, or can I improve that somehow and there, there'll be certain sessions of practices that will lend, you know, that lend itself to less ball rolling time and conditions if it's freezing cold then you want to get that ball rolling as much as you can it's snowing here today but if you know if, if it's summer it's 90 degrees maybe you can have a bit longer and you can slow the pace of the session down a little bit yeah. but just be aware of it I think yeah definitely and I think I think if, if you're a coach and you've only got your players for an hour right if you've only if you've got 20% of the time you're doing the talking that's 12 minutes out of that hour yep. that, you, that you're losing um, so I think it's really 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 important I know it's when I've done my level 2 it's something that um, as I was having my uh, in situ visit um, it's something that the that the kind of assessor they're not an assessor the uh, the feedback coach from the FA was kind of was looking at how much how much ball rolling time and you actually get that feedback at the end of the session this is what your ball rolling time was I didn't um, know that yeah okay and I, yeah and I think I was about 79 percent so oh, that's poor, Your whole that's poor. Off. exactly oh, yeah yeah exactly um, and I think the point you make around being a little bit clever like the, the, the players get a drink talk to them while they're having a drink right um position yourself so the so the sun's in your eyes when when you're talking to the players not in the players eyes position yourself so you're kind of not there's not a game of football right behind you so they're not they're looking at that it's just these kind of little things that just will make your chats with the players quick um done snappy bang we're back out doing something right Use visual aids if you can, yeah. yeah rather than words, you know, yeah. demonstrations, yeah. whiteboards, um, micro pictures. You know, just yeah. use cones to set it up if you can. If you've got to explain something, then a picture paints a thousand words. You yeah, know, don't just try yeah. and talk through it. So yeah, agree, just yeah. being clever with yeah. it, right? Yeah, and I think just with, when you when you use when you're using players, make sure you use as many players as you can over your over the season. For example, don't just you're always going to have one or two boys which are technically stronger. That generally they're probably your go to players, and if you want to do a demonstration. But you want to help, kind of help all the players, right? In terms of their um, self-esteem and their confidence. So good you should so try and use different players each time you each time you do it. But yeah, very good yeah. point. Okay, I think we've probably done enough on ball rolling time. Um, our yep. podcast rolling time is is, <laughs> is pushing on. Um, okay, next one is decision making. Um, again, I know this is a big one for you, and it's a big one for me. I think this is this is kind of critical, right? You just you've got to present your players with problems that they need to solve i think it's the optimal way that they're going to learn and develop and remember you have to be presenting them with um with problems 
Um, there's different kind of coaching styles you can use to do this, right? And it's again on on level two. And I know when you've done your kind of youth badge that they they talk about guided discovery, trial and error, um, question and answers. One that I use quite a bit. Um, all of these different things, not being directive and, and kind of telling the players, asking questions. And it's the same. It's not just training. It's matches as well, right? It's it, this is in matches we you see that perhaps the the, the player made the wrong decision or, or what you perceive as being the wrong decision on the ball you ask them I guess firstly why did you make that decision um, and then secondly what could you have done what else could you have done and generally the player will come back and say oh I should have passed it or I should have shot or I should have been I should have taken I had a one-on-one opportunity I should have been more direct and positive for the ball um, so I think it's I think it's really the more you present problems for the players to solve in training the more you're going to see that coming through when in competitive matches um on on a, on a sunday morning i just and again it comes back to what we spoke about earlier this constant variable random opposed versus unopposed type practices um the more variable and and and, and even more the more random practices you've got in there um the better it's going to be for for players in, in the longer the longer term yep totally agree I think it goes back to planning because actually your theme of your session or your theme within your planning could be a question, could be a problem. So what problem would I like the players to focus on today? You kind of think, and you, you kind of build around that, you know, what's the problem that we could face in a game and how are the players going to solve it? And give them the problem first. That that might be overtly, you told them the problem or you just introduce a game in which the problem is there for them to solve. Um, and you see how it unfolds. Obviously, you need the technical points within you to be able to support your players, you know, if they're not solving the problem. But if you go straight with the solution first and present the problem afterwards, it's just to me, it just feels like the wrong way around. The learning's not so deep. Yeah. you know um yeah if you could i mean you kind of get into pedagogy here and you know the science of actually educating you know and child development things like that. but I, I the gut feel is you know if you can if the players can solve the problem themselves then that's going to stick a bit more than you yeah. giving them the toolbox yeah. of potential problems they may face and they kind of have to kind of use it if if, if they yeah. can and i think it's great right you, you kind of you're asking questions or uh, of the players and you actually see them thinking it through, and they and actually when they come back with answers, they just look and you say you're absolutely spot on. You, they're actually you can see the how delighted they are when they kind of answering these questions, right? And I think it's just it creates a bit of positivity again. Um, it is that silence time? That's, yeah. that's the that's the moment the learnings happen, and I think as coach we can be scared of quiet sometimes. Yeah. But if you've got quiet for ten seconds, that's the learning there. That's what's happening. They yeah. might not get it, but that's the the cognitive stuff and the little wires collecting up inside that. They, they're gonna get it, yeah. you know. And if they don't, fine, send them back out again. Give them a bit longer, you know. Yeah. You know, rather than give them the answer, give them a bit longer to, to solve it themselves because they will. I think we can be guilty sometimes as coaches of underestimating the players as well and what they're capable of doing if we yeah. give them just enough time. Um, you don't want them, you don't want them drowning, you know. But you kind of want them just splashing around a little bit, so you know they're, yeah. they're having to struggle a little bit, so it's uncomfortable a little bit, but not too uncomfortable. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and I think the other thing is, how do you in a team you have? You have players which are maybe kind of extrovert. Some players are introvert, even at young ages, right? Some you you you'd have maybe the same person trying to answer every question. Yeah. Um, and it's the players that are not answering. It. It's then you need to kind of maybe go to them and and ask them. And and generally speaking, they will they will know the answer, um, or they will get there quite quickly. But they just don't give it to you. Yeah. And I think it's then as a coach, you're there for all the players and really trying to bring it out of all of all the players not just the ones that want to answer it kind of straight out and the shouting the answer out or putting the hand up first kind of thing 
It's a great point. And finally, I just think to say you're right because actually with decision making, I hadn't thought about it until you just said that then, but I think, you know what, if you just, if you just focus on solutions, then the technical players will probably stand out or the physical players or, or both will stand out. So the less technical players, the less physical players might just be in the background a little bit. It's this confidence thing. If you give them problems, actually, sometimes that's cognitive issues they've got to oversolve. So it's not just the ability to do it. It's actually what am I trying to do and how am I going to get, get it done quickly? And then you'll see different players shine at different times depending on the problems that's there. Because it might be an attacking problem, defending problem, passing problem, or a transition problem. But different times, different players will shine because the problem's creating the opportunity to stand out rather than just a technical solution. Yeah. You know, um, so, so then you get the confidence and over the longer term suddenly you've got all, all your teams a bit confident you've not got one or two players you think oh they could be a great captain they're a leader they are you've actually got a team of them because yeah. you've, given, you, you've given them the opportunity to be able to have their moment yeah, um, yeah. yeah. and as coaches right it's not just you, you're, you're coaching them to play football but you want to help them externally as well and I think this is this is kind of great ways of or help them being more confident in, in general in character building right? character building yeah yeah, yeah I agree yeah, yeah. Okay, number nine, is that me? Yes. The environment. Oh, this is a huge one. I mean, it's huge, but and it sounds maybe too huge to be actually an ingredient, but you can't ignore the environment. I mean, I think we have to do something on this as a separate podcast because yeah. this is a massive thing. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot about it at the moment. There's some really good stuff out there. Um, but you've got to think about your culture, you know, and, and it's not just words, but what is your culture? You know, what, what, what are you about as a team, as a collective, as a, as a club, probably, although, you know, that, that depends on the type of club you're in. Um, what philosophy have you got? But what are your values? Um, how do you communicate that? And the most important thing I think about the environment, the most important thing that will have the biggest impact is what habits you've got. You know, good and bad. What are your habits? Because they'll be the thing that determine your outcomes in the long run. You know, yeah. what do you do week in, week out? Because you are what you practice. You know, you are what you practice. So, you know, and we don't always get it right 100%. And there'll be, you know, good sessions, bad sessions, good weeks, bad weeks. But if, if, your, core, if your core habits are pretty good, you're going to do all right over the longer term. Yeah. Uh, you know, and you can't have an environment that just bounces around from week to week to week to week. So this week, you know, what we could be very disciplined and very strict. This week, it's all fun and games. And this week, we, you know, you know, mistakes are fine. This week, you can't make a mistake. You know, it's not the way it's going to work. You need to know, okay, what? Who are we? Make sure the players understand that, and the parents, if necessary, well, depending on what age and stage yeah, you're at, with yeah. the, with them, and, and you know, and it's part of what the club's after and stuff. But if you get that environment right, to a lot of the other places, a lot of the pieces of the puzzle just fit into place. Yeah, I totally agree, and I think environment is just is just critical, right? And, and again, not just in football it's in 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 life in general if you get the right environment at home for 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 the for your kids and things like that you get the right environment at work kind of you get things done i just think having that environment's right and i think the important thing you mentioned there is actually ensuring that the parents are on the same page and they're aware of the environment or what you're trying to um, embed in in your sessions and on ma- in match day and things like that is is critical. And one of the things that I've done with my team is we have a code of conduct. So we have a code of conduct for parents, we have a code of conduct for players, and we have a code of conduct for coaches as well. And that's shared throughout, shared with all the players, with all the coaches, with all the parents. Um, and I've shared it with the kind of other teams that operate in in the age group as well, so they can see what we're doing and what what we're about. I just think having that environment right, having boundaries, play, players know where the kind of boundaries are, having that, I think, respect is a word and, and that, that we could use. And I, I just think it allows, it, it creates the right development, um, not opportunity. Space. Space, yeah. yeah. It just, that's, it just, 
I just think it's it's just very important, it, it, and it is a it is a massive topic, and we must do a separate session on it because yep. I think there's so much we can cover in this, and I just think it really really is important. Back to your code of conduct point, Mark. Yeah. It's a good point you make, and a lot of clubs and teams have code of conducts. Yeah. Now I know you know, and I know I know your players, and I know your parents, and I know you. What you do with that is you live and breathe it, and yeah, that's exactly. I think is the difference. And it, I'm not, yeah. you know, that's the truth. You do, and that's why you've got you know a great connection with the players. You get the most out of the sessions. The parents are on board and they get it, which kind of you know that's you know can have creative issues if they're not. Um, and you did it really well. And having the code of conduct is one thing, but you've got to live and breathe it. Yeah, agree. you've got to live and breathe yeah. it. Yeah. And then what you actually get is the most out of your training sessions because every, yeah. every minute counts then I'm not saying what the code of conduct should be or what you should focus on but actually you know if you've got one and and it's the one you believe in you're going to get so much more out of those sessions because people come with the right mentality and mindset to be able to do the things that are important to you as the coach yeah agree yeah and I think if you if you can set that stall out early on in in the when you kind of take on a team or certainly at the start of every season that's what I do is kind of set expectations and with the parents so everyone's on board everyone knows what what's going to going on make sure that communication's clear and concise and consistent really, and consistent yeah. and consistent yeah um i think it's really important and, and probably maybe i over communicate a little bit with the parents better too much it, not enough i'd yeah, say yeah, but yeah 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 so that's a uh that's an interesting one. and actually i think for a future podcast managing parents or or maybe managing is the wrong word dealing with parents is a is an interesting uh is an interesting discussion point but you I, are very good at that <laughs> i'm not so sure about that <laughs> Okay, um, moving on to the kind of last one, um, and I guess it's a good place to have it at the end because uh, it is it's reflecting and reviewing your session. I think this is a really underrated part of coaching, actually, and it's one probably I really started to do this more since I went through my level two, and I, 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 I've I've gone through the new level two, I guess, um, and it was something that was really kind of drummed into us um in in those in in as part of the level two is really taking time to reflect on your session what went well what didn't go well what could you do differently and even even to the point where i i would go through after each training session and just document right these are the things that i think i need to work on next time if i do this practice again actually what could i do differently um I think it's just it's just really really important, and I think even if you can get, and I know we've we've kind of gone through this, although we are a bit keen, but doing peer to peer feedback, if you can get a coach to come and watch your session or video your session, um, and you can then take their feedback, and then you can look back at the video and say, well, actually, my ball rolling time was only fifty percent this week. I've done way too much talking, or actually, the gaps between the session or between the practices or the games were too long. Um, or the intensity wasn't high enough this week, uh, or the, the the my coaching points didn't come ac- come across as well as I wanted them to. I think it's just a it's just a really really important important part of your session, which I think, as I said, is underrated. A lot of coaches don't do this, um, and I'm and I'm guilty. I don't do it as enough as much as I should do. Um, but I always try to, even if I don't document something after the session, I always try to think back. Right, how did that go? Did that go? as well as I wanted it to what parts went well what didn't go so well so I think it's an it's an important thing really important part yeah it is and it probably is the bit that's neglected the most 
and the point you make about actually getting somebody else's feedback you reflect your own sessions and you could be your own worst kind of critic can't you about your yeah. session but you don't see it all you know and you might be right in what you're thinking or you might be wrong or you might be missed some really good stuff that you didn't couldn't see yourself or you know you might miss some really important stuff yeah. you know, particularly with the players I mean you've got one set of eyes and maybe 15 players out there so yeah. you can't see everything all the time and there's nothing like a video or someone else saying well actually you know what you, you missed a little moment there where Little Mark was over there, and he did a what you know, did a wonderful little uh, Joe Cole turn, and you were saying well done to somebody else three times, but missed his like little things yeah. that you can just miss, and you know you're never going to be perfect, but the more you can kind of get feedback and input into into honest feedback and input into what what you've what you've done and the sessions, then the better, and you know whacking the video on and videoing yourself is a is a good way of doing that, I think. Yeah, definitely, and and actually, a lot of our we're fortunate one of our kind of parents. Um, videos the games on Sunday and I get to look back and, and observe actually what, what did we kind of do well this week what didn't we do well as a team It's I guess it's not specific to the, my kind of coaching although I can I can hear myself in the background talking to the players so there's lessons that I learned from that but it's, it's a great tool video is a great swearing. tool yes <laughs> no I don't do that anymore <laughs> um, but it's a great it's a great tool so um, so yeah really important yeah yeah so I think we've covered all the 10 points. Um, so just to, we'll go through them again quickly. Just to say, though, the, the, these aren't the things that are going to... You can't say, right, I'm going to do these 10 things and then I've got a session. This is kind of like the overview of what you could put in the session to make the kind of hopefully get the most out of it. So uh, number one was planning. Number two was have a clear theme. Number three was, if you can, use free play. Number four was have some technical work in there. Number five was think about physical literacy for the players. Number six was using game-based practices. Number seven was think about the ball rolling time. Number eight was creating decision-making opportunities as much as possible for the players. Number nine was think about the environment. And number 10 was obviously reflecting and reviewing on the session. Yep. Yep. So final Uh, thoughts, Mark? So I think... I think we've kind of gone through what we think are kind of important, right? Um, but maybe there's things that perhaps we've missed out. I'm, I'm sure there are things that we've missed out. So I think the, the, the we're here to kind of, I guess, we kind of love talking about coaching, right? Um, I think it'd be great to kind of get some feedback on, on our views. Um, and and, and, and we're, we're open to kind of being educated 100%. Um, we're not experts by any stretch of the imagination. We're kind of amateur coaches that are kind of uh that are kind of trying to trying to get more experience and and improve our sessions to help develop our players so please take some time to kind of reach out to us and and let us know where you think we can we can improve on this yeah i think our coaching is like our podcast it's very much a work in progress isn't yeah it? so yeah yeah well, that's, that's a fair point mark and you know we're certainly not trying to preach to people out there saying look these are the 10 things you must do or you will fail and these is all the right answers these are the 10 things we feel are important in, in a coaching session we'd love to hear if you think you agree or not or if you've got better ones that so we can try ourselves we'd love to do that um ultimately we just want to improve our coaching practices and give our players the best possible opportunity to be the best they can be in the most funny environment right Absolutely, yeah. And how can people reach us then? Good point. So we've got two main ways, I guess. We've got an email address, which you can get us at info at the soccercoachingpodcast.com, uh, which is very long, but it's, you know, if you can do that, that's great. Or even easier, if you're on Twitter, you can get us at soccercoachcast. 
Um, so either of those two avenues uh, will, will reach us and we will reply and respond back to you we'd love to hear from yeah, you um, if you're going to be critical please be constructive but we can take that as well we're used to it yeah. um, but all feedback's welcome but really technical stuff you know any ideas you've got for particularly um, for, for themes we can cover in future podcasts anything about this, cast, uh, this particular cast specifically um, the hope is we've got one or two people we're approaching around this theme and uh, who, who do this as a, for a living and what their thoughts are around um an effective session so that we'll hopefully get out in the next few weeks um but any yeah, any thoughts or feedback are, are very much welcome yep agree uh, so finally, just to say that if you do like this episode, please do subscribe because um, that goes a long way for helping us uh, get our position in iTunes and, and get it out to more people. If you can give us a positive review, that's that's great uh, as well. Um, and hopefully you'll uh, tune back in for the next episode. Thanks very much. Thank you.